Hi everyone and welcome to the Radical Reformers podcast. I'm Andrew Laird. I started this podcast for a very simple reason. You can find podcasts on pretty much any topic, but I wasn't aware of any that were focused on public service leaders. So rather than wait for somebody else to do it, I decided to give it a try. I wanted to give public service leaders a platform to tell their stories, to talk about the reforms and innovations they put in place, and to share lessons in leadership. I think this will be particularly interesting for current and future public service leaders, but a lot of the lessons are more broadly applicable. So I hope you enjoy it, and please remember to register on the website to never miss a future episode. On this episode, I talk to Trevor Doughty, who is a very experienced leader in children's services and until recently was the director of children's services in Cornwall. Before Trevor left this post at Christmas time last year, he and the team in Cornwall had achieved an outstanding rating from Ofsted. In this conversation, you'll find Trevor extremely honest and candid about what's worked and what hasn't worked. And there are some very important leadership lessons to be taken from this discussion. Things to look out for are Trevor's belief in having a really strong set of core values and how you can always go back to those values when faced with a difficult decision. So he encourages people to ignore the noise, often political noise, and focus on doing the right thing. And if you do that, you'll seldom go wrong. He also talks about having resilience and how important that is for leaders, particularly in public services. If you're trying to do anything worthwhile, the chances are that your career will have ups and downs. And the important thing is how you rebound from the downs and remain humble during the ups. And we also talk about Trevor's view on integration. There's a lot of talk about this at the minute. And Trevor expresses a strong view that children's services, regardless of where they currently sit, should be brought together in order to make them more accessible and more effective in supporting vulnerable children and families. And as a final, final point before we hear from Trevor, if you've ever wondered what it's like being a director of children's services when Ofsted call, then you will certainly get some insight here. Trevor Doughty, you're very welcome to the Radical Reformers podcast. Um, I've already given people a little bit of an intro on who you are, but I think it's always best to let people introduce themselves. So would you mind uh, telling us a little bit about who you are? Yeah, thanks, Andrew. Just to say, uh, nice to spend some time talking to you and um, real real pleasure to, to be asked to be on this. Yeah, so currently I am um, the director of children's sector-led improvement with the local government association and uh, which is a half-time role and I also work for the uh, department for education on a contract basis as a uh, as a commissioner and advisor to um, to two local authorities that are in intervention. Um, I was um, a director of children's services for a scary number of years. Um, I was director of children's services in Northumberland between 2004 and 2010. And then I was director of children's services in Cornwall between 2010 um, up until Christmas last year. So so there's there's a huge, huge experience within the public sector there. And Trevor, when, when you and I speak, you and I have known each other for a number of years now and when we speak you often talk about your underlying values and what are those values and and where have they come from? So I've worked in in local government since 1981 so I'd say something that I've always held on to and it's been it's been a very useful thing to hold on to at at times is a belief in local government. I know one of the things you want to discuss today is is radical reform. But if if we didn't have local government and someone came up with the idea, well, why don't we allow um, local citizens to stand for an election and we'll we'll everybody can elect those to uh, to run our local services and decide on our local strategy? People was oh that's a that's a really interesting radical idea, you know, and, and yet we've had it well. It, broadly in its current form since since the 1830s so um so it's a it's a belief in 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 local government and then i would say and and this kind of links into 
modern social work theory, but I think modern social work theory makes sense of an approach that's been around for a lot longer, which is a, a belief in, in social justice and in um, equal opportunities in, in, in a genuine sense in that um, um, because we don't live in an equal society and, and I'm not sure I could define what an equal society was anyway, but because many children are born with disadvantage, be that through disability, individual circumstances, but particularly poverty, that um, there's a role of government and local government to, you know, what's what's now called levelling up, but give give those children and young people a chance in life that is denied them by the circumstances into which they're born. You know, if I look at the children's services staff in, in Cornwall who I worked with, and, and this this would go almost to a person, and we'd all have our strengths and weaknesses, we'd all have our good days and bad days. But I think what we all had in common, which probably I was most proud of, was that we all gave a damn. I didn't necessarily always put it in those terms, but you, you, you know, you know, you know what I mean. And, well, and that's that, absolutely fine. You, you, uh, you can put it in those terms here. When social workers were first really coming into the the public eye, and generally in a negative way, in in in, in the the seventies, you know, the caring professions was almost seen as a, a sneer and and an insult. Um, and I think we should be proud of that. Yeah. And if you've got those things in place and you get that, then you've got half a chance of making a difference. So there's a very clear set of values there around believing in local government and then around social justice and that being something that drives you. So the belief in local government, is that a belief in the things that local government do right now? Or do you think more things should be devolved locally? Well, if if I, I mentioned very briefly and i know this will be ancient history to to a lot of listeners but when there was the the local government reform starting in the early 90s um which came out of the the poll tax crisis stroke fiasco it it went immediately into should we have unitary councils or should we not Mm. but it didn't ask the first question which is what is local government for and and when when regional government has been discussed, and I was in the northeast, this is, this is almost forgotten now. But there was a referendum on whether there should be regional government in the northeast, which was heavily rejected in the referendum. I think it was something like seven to one. But again, there was no real argument about what is local government for, what is what is regional government for. And I know that uh, the regional local issue is being the regional uh, unitary unitary county unitary district issue is is now coming to the fore again and i think it it does uh we should have reflect on what local government is and what local government does yes i remember they were called regional assemblies i think it was a john prescott idea and i'm not too sure it had uh, a huge amount of support across government which maybe is part of the explanation as, as to why it it didn't do so well so Trevor, you've talked about your values around belief in local government and um, social justice. And I'm just wondering if you're a social worker or an assistant director or director listening to this, what would your advice be on how you turn those values into something real and something practical? Well, I, I think on a practice basis, the the Eileen Munro report, which I, I still think holds up very well, which is which which kind of articulated emerging thinking that um, people don't don't want to bring up their children badly, generally speaking, you know, but that it's it's circumstances, it's particularly it's particularly poverty. So it's it's being able to frame why a family is in a given situation um, and having the the belief that it's generally, you know, the jargon is a strength-based model that you can work with that family with with those individuals' strengths to um, to to improve the lot of those children and and the, the life chances, the outcomes for that for those children. But it's being able to frame it against the circumstances with that, that that I think is really important for a social worker because if you're just looking at it in terms of individual pathology, for example, then it's it's really difficult not to not to kind of blame the individuals and 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 be very judgmental about what they're 
what they're not doing you know in in their home circumstances what they're what they're not doing with with their children so so being able to to set that against a, an understanding of what poverty and deprivation means and, and what the consequences are i think is is really important yeah um, there's the clearly there's a frustration that that goes with that in the in the individual social workers and children's services directorates you know local government i don't think can make that that fundamental difference you know that's an issue for national government as well yeah um there's a couple of things that you've referenced there which i'll put in the notes below the podcast so you mentioned the 2011 eileen monroe report so what i'll do is check those and put them in the notes so if people are interested in them they they can see so trevor i'm i'm only repeating what what you've what you've previously told me um but you've said that your career has had ups and downs and uh i think it's really important for particularly younger people listening to this to understand that any career particularly successful careers have ups and downs and the downs are often as as if not more important than the ups in terms of learning and building resilience so um, it'd be great if you could tell us about some of the downs and some of the lessons that you took from those. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've talked about this before, as, as you've just said, and, and on, a, on a kind of micro level, um, we all have our good days and bad days. So those ups and downs, they're there every day. And, and it's, it's, it's often struck me that, um, you know, when, when you have a really bad day and I'd, I'd have to think of I'll, I'll come to examples in a minute but the examples are normally the big ones about you know big events but just just a, a bad day where where you have where you have meetings where you, you you're trying to articulate something and you think I'm not getting this across I'm, I'm not being listened to and but you really learn from those bad days I think you know and in the good days there's a bit of um you know the the nemesis hubris thing that um uh, you, yeah. you you start to think oh i'm i'm pretty hot at this i'm i'm pretty you know and and that's dangerous as well um you know we, we maybe we'll come back to it but um i always think you know it's it's great when you get an outstanding ofsted judgment but you got to be you don't start thinking of yourself as outstanding that's that's really dangerous and i remember when we got the outstanding in northumberland going back this must be 2008 2009 on the then child protection setup and the message we were giving is look let's not you know this is great but we've still got we still learn every day so anyway to the thrust of your your question i i you know some bad bad times that i would i would pick out when i first went to be uh director of social services in in South Tyneside this would be around the turn of the century 99 2000 I think I was appointed in in 2000 and I'd been director for four weeks when there was a a coroner's judgment around around the death of a child and uh, you know it's, it's 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 not particularly the individual circumstances but there I was having been four weeks in the post with the television cameras the press all um you know outraged about this I can still recall some of the circumstances and it was it was one of those where the coroner had really laid into the local authority but actually it was a multi-agency failure and yeah. um and being on the other side of that, it's a lonely place to be. But I probably learned more from dealing with that than I did on on lots of occasions where where things went well. Yeah. And um, but you know, I still think back to uh, that there was a there was a child that that if social work practice had been better, that child that child wouldn't have died. And you need to have that in in your in your and it's in a sense it was. It was for my career because I'd only been in post four weeks, so I hadn't been associated with the with the bad practice. But even so, you've got to take responsibility, and the public aren't really interested in the oh well, it wasn't on my watch stuff. What they're interested in is how can you stop this happening again? And part of leadership is taking responsibility for your um, 
for, for your staff's actions when yeah. it doesn't go well as well as when it it does go well and um i think that's that's really important yeah i mean it strikes me that there, i mean that this is maybe stating the obvious given the way the media and the press is at the minute but when something goes wrong uh the press are all over it there's a lot of criticism but when a team of social workers supports a young person to have a really successful start in life nobody to use your word from earlier nobody gives a damn it is not a story is it so no. it's um and if I if I if I go back to when I was a practicing social worker, you know, in my mid to late 20s and the things that could still haunt me, I still think, did I do the right thing there are actually um, removing children. I'm a great admirer of social workers um, and I think I think it's a tougher job now than it was when I was doing it in the 80s. Because why is that? Why is it tougher? So the reason I, reason I think it's it's harder now is I, I don't think the fundamentals have, have changed in terms of working working in really difficult circumstances with with really challenging families. I think one of the the really big asks of a social worker is that um, we talked about the the social justice model earlier, but you've got to believe in in the family's possibilities and and their ability to improve and the ability of that family to stay together with with work and with successful interventions but but in terms of the standards of recording of the whole public law process or and, and the scrutiny that, that you're under and the standards quite properly you know the quality standards and the practice standards that you're expected to adhere, adhere to and the oversight of your work it's um it it's a much higher standard now than it was there's much more expected of social workers of those skills you know you've got to be able to perform in court you've got to be able to write well you've got to be able to you know sit down on the floor with with children you've got to be able to engage with families you've got to be able to make really difficult decisions you've got to work with partner agencies You've got to be able to work with you within your organization and its hierarchy. This is this is this is demanding work. And, you know, let's let's be frank, you know, when we don't overpay social workers. So as as you said earlier, when when they're doing it well, they're not particularly thanked. And does all of does all of this make or does it force social workers into a position where they are more risk averse than maybe they were in the 1980s, as you were talking about? Well, the data would tell us that social workers became more risk adverse after Peter Connolly. And after that, when was that? That was 2007, 2008. And, and so in terms of, if you look at the data in terms of children subject to a child protection plan, children becoming looked after, those numbers started really going up which suggested social workers became more risk averse after that. Well, not just social workers, but the, the system became... Was that in people, was that in the social workers' mind that they were just conscious of this, do you think, or was the, the regulatory... Uh, no, it would, have been, it, would, it would have been a systemic issue. Yeah, okay. So I, I want to, to move on now to talk about some of the ups because there have been certainly yeah, I was, ups I was, I've got a long list of downs by the way if you want to continue on the downs <laughs> well that's oh yeah so let's... But, but the message is the same yeah I think the message is the same I think from what you've been telling us it's it's all about how you react to challenges and that everyone will have ups and downs and including some major ups and downs so I think that is a really important lesson yeah well you know of when when Northumberland went unitary and you know, we in in outcome terms, we were really successful as a children's services director with, with an outstanding rating um, in the, the measurements of the time that went on to become an outstanding SIF after I'd after I'd gone. But the the nature of moving to um, unitary status, um, political change, particularly the approach I'd taken for the previous uh, council around um, school reorganisation. There was, to put it bluntly, there was no longer a job for me in Northumberland. So that was well, the first after, time. After that hard work, that that must have been a real blow. Yeah, um, and so. it was 
what do I do next? You know, do I go into into interim work? Um, do I simply retire or do something else? You know, and and that those were those were quite tough times, but they happen in careers. You know, you, yeah. you have your ups and downs. When when people say, uh, reminds me of of, of uh, lines from 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 films. You know. It's not personal; it's business. Often, you know, it is personal. <laughs> you feel it personally. You but, do. Um, oh, you always do. But yes. even though you feel it personally, you might be hurt. You get on with it, and you learn from it. So, where did you where did you move on to then after that? So, you know, I was in the and and again, you need a bit of luck as well. You know, I know we've talked about this before. So, it's interesting in that I was leaving Northumberland. So. Um, and I was, I thought, right, I'll, I have a few weeks or, or months, have a think about what I'm going to do next. You know, I'll see what interim works about. And uh, and th- this is going to sound conceited, although, but it's, you know, it's, it's the nature of the market. So I had about 10 job offers, I'd say, you know, which were some were, some were interim, some were full, you know, and I don't want to exaggerate, you know, some were invitations to apply, but some were more more definite than that. And the one I went for was was you know Kevin Lavery who was who was the chief exec in in the new Cornwall Unitary Council which had had um, just got or about a year eighteen months before had had a a devastating um, inadequate Ofsted report which was a real blow to the new uh, Unitary Authority asked me if I'd be interested in applying for the vacant DCS job at, at, in Cornwall. And I could have, you know, there were other choices I had, and, and obviously from, you know, geographically speaking, but my family and I had often thought, oh, you would quite like to move to the southwest, so uh, not necessarily that far southwest. So it was, it was, it was a big, it was a big decision. Yeah. And um, but it turned out to be to be the right one, and you know, I won't name the authorities, but if if I look at what subsequently happened in one or two of the other authorities I could have gone to, it would have been a mistake just because, you know, and it, that's that's wouldn't have reflected on me, but because of structural changes they made or, or whatever, it wouldn't yeah. have worked out for me. Whereas so, so luck, luck does. I luck mean, plays a part. Luck so or I, good I, fortune was, or whatever, yeah. whatever way you want to present. So going, going to Cornwall really... Yeah really worked out for me when you say you work in cornwall everyone's got an image of that where there's there's other authorities particularly authorities that aren't named after a specific place people were yeah. thinking oh where's that then but you know most people look at cornwall affectionately and fondly because they've had nice cornwall cornwall for sure has a very strong identity and exactly. the name means a lot whereas we we work with quite a lot of councils and often the council is a well. It's a false construct of yeah. of an area that doesn't doesn't resonate with locals. But we're we're getting a little bit uh, sidetracked. So you you say luck, but when you went to Cornwall, there was a serious job to be done there. They they were inadequate. So they they were. So I, just to talk you through that. So I divide it into the I bit and the we bit. So I'll, I'll start with I'll start with the I bit, then I'll talk about the 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 the, the wee bit because most of it, as you know, you, you don't do this on your own. You do this you do this um, with a lot of other people. But the I bit is that I think I underestimated. If you read the two thousand and nine um, Cornwall Ofsted report, it's a bit. It was described to me at the time. It's a bit of a uh, lions led by donkeys report. You know, so. Um, a lot of it was a criticism of the senior management and the and, and, and the system. So I thought, okay, that's fine. Sort out the senior management structure and the system, uh, and that will be halfway there. But actually, it was a lot more. The problems were far more deep seated than that. They were far more practice um, based. And I think, you know, uh, and I'd <laughs> I'd said to the the staff had just gone through a massive restructure um, mm. when I arrived, and um, I'd said to them, "The last thing you want is a is another restructure." And then I restructured within three months, um, right. just because it was it was one of those crazy kind of non-specific 
non-specialist, particularly in terms of children's social care structure, you know, one of these generic community-based integrated structures that, you know, across across all of children that, that showed no understanding of um, of social work. And, and I'm a great believer in integrating all of children's services, but you still need highly specialised social work within that. Yeah. So, so just, Trevor, if I can just ask you, so you, it can't have been a great start for you and the staff to go in and say the last thing you need is a restructure and then to restructure. Although I think they were kind of relieved and in my weaselly way I called it an adjustment not a restructure. Right. <laughs> they kind of they kind of <laughs> bought that and the other thing I had to do is um, is getting people who could help me who could work with me at a senior level. I would say the most important thing I needed was somebody to lead children's social care the only way this is going to work if is, is if I can get one of the top people to come and do this and attracting people to come to Cornwall for all Cornwall's huge attractions. You can't, you know, drive down on a Monday morning and back on a Thursday night or people do. But, you know, you, you have to make a commitment. And um, yeah. and again, luck came to it. And, uh, and um, is that I was able to recruit um, Jack Cordery, who we both know very yeah. well, to come and and um, lead children's social care and work with me and Jack came he came about six or seven months into my watch which was when we had the 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 Ofsted the next Ofsted uh, single inspection which we failed again we went up in three of the four categories but we were still inadequate for um I've forgotten what the what the subtitle was at the time but the equivalent of health yeah. and protection and so we were still inadequate and uh, I think I think Jack was also kind of um, he realised what he was taking on. I think then he might not realise what he was taking on when he came when when he came for an interview. And uh, and then it very much goes into the we because I would say then I was able to knowing I got somebody with real talent, I was able to say to him, I'll create the environment for you to go and really sort out children's social care and and social work and I think you know the things he did early particularly particularly in the first two years in terms of introducing quality standards introducing practice standards um, introducing a performance management oversight that people owned collectively which was based on values not just on on process yeah. You know, Jack did that, obviously, with his colleagues and, and with a number of people who were already there and established. So, for example, you know, the Care Leavers Service, which is really, really strong in Cornwall, was strong before either either Jack or I arrived there. So I don't want to say Cornwall was all awful and then we made it brilliant because these things are always much more nuanced than that. But the other thing that was done that Jack and others led was a kind of grow your own workforce yeah. In terms of in terms of career development, developing social workers and um, moving from and, and social workers who understood the values, understood the social work model. And I think a lot was, you know, so by the time we got an adequate in 2013, you know, Ofsted tend to be conservative with a small C on these things. But, you know, I think we were on the cusp of good by 2013. Mm-hmm. And we were we were on a journey then and we we still had you know we still had our ups and downs after that but we were on a a steady improvement journey after that but i would say if, if, if you're asking about my uh, personal leadership at 2014 to 2018 no yeah 2014 to 2018 i also did adult services as well yeah and for eight months of that the head of paid service as well as that and yeah. so um, and you're asked about ups and downs and I learned a heck of a lot doing that but it was too much for one person to do I'd say retrospectively yeah and um, it's a testament to the strength of those children's services staff children's social care disability education across the whole spectrum you know I'd, I'd um, Jane who you know mm-hmm. you know and and um who ran education you know the way she worked with the um with the head teachers etc so 
I think, you know, we worked really well as a team. You know, I'm very much the kind of um, believe in the team, believe in the us kind of approach. You know, I'm not the hero leader saying I shouldn't take the credit for all that was achieved in, in Cornwall. That's not me being falsely modest. That's simply true. I played a part, but it's about in constructing the team yeah. um, and working with the team is, um, you know, so we could talk about leadership and, and what you do as leadership, but uh, it was very so much you, a collective achievement down yeah. to down to every social worker as well. And sometimes it sounds sanctimonious and and insincere when I say that, but I do genuinely mean that. On the issue of leadership and your leadership style, yeah, um, uh, working with public services, uh, we I come across a whole range of different styles of leadership, and particularly around something uh, as fraught with risk as children's services. Some leaders tend to try and grip things really closely, and yeah. I, don't, I don't like the term micromanage, but to be across all of the detail. It feels like you, particularly with somebody like like Jack on board, you, you took a different approach where you were creating the environment, but actually you were empowered. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but having observed it, I know this is true. You empowered the really good people you'd either brought up or brought in. Yeah, I'm kind of fascinated by this part that, well, finding all the discussion interesting, but I think it's this kind of empower, don't do the detail. So I think, you know, I, I'm not renowned for being a detailed person, let's put it that, but, but <laughs> I would also say that however, however much you, you work that model, when you talk about being on top of the detail, occasionally you need to be really down in the detail. And I think the skill is knowing when that has to happen. Yeah. Because if you try and... If, if, if I, so I would say I wouldn't stray into politics and I'm now going to stray into politics. If you look at the two different stars of, of Tony Blair and, and, and Gordon Brown, and obviously I'm looking at this as somebody who never, never met either of them and um, yeah. is, is an observer like anybody else. But you'd see Gordon Brown was somebody who, as chancellor was really on top of the detail. And from what I've read, when he became prime minister, really struggled with not being on on, on top of the detail of everything because that was his natural, you know, and we yeah. talked about whatever one's political preferences, two very gifted politicians, and um, but two different styles. And it appears to me that the, the, the bits that Gordon Brown struggled with about being prime minister is you can't be on top of all the detail. Yeah. And you have to be a butterfly to a certain extent. Yeah. You have to be able to um, go from one thing to another. Yeah. And, yes. um, and and you have to be able to be interrupted, you know, that you, you, you know, sometimes it's really irritating to be interrupted. But I quite enjoyed the having to think about lots of different things at the same time or, yeah. you know, plate spinning, as as people would say. I quite like that, that kind of going from one thing to another and being able to respond to different audiences, whereas fiercely concentrating on, you know, I'd be a rubbish project manager, for example, as 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 I'm sure you'd agree if you were. You know, um, I, I couldn't possibly comment. Uh, you know, just fiercely concentrating on one thing. But I think generally speaking, if you're leading an organisation that then my kind of approach is probably the one that's best suited to it. But but you know, for 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 somebody who's a real specialist in a particular area, you have to be able to recognise. So I really like like to um, surround, you know, have complete, really good completer finishes near me. Yeah, and, yeah, it's important. You know, I think that is really important in terms of building a team. And I don't know how much effort people put into the personalities and the different skills, rather than the track record the kind of is this person qualified for the job yeah that's that's one element a very important other element is does this person fill the gaps that i currently have in, yeah. in the team and i think yeah. what, what you obviously did in cornwall was think pretty closely about that which was good and just in, in terms of some of the the change that you that you brought about in cornwall 
uh, you led quite a bold reform in bringing the children's bit of public health back into the council and you mentioned that you're a fan of integration um can you say a little bit about what you did there and yeah and why you feel it was a good thing yeah if if we got can i can i just put it in in the overall approach because i i just wanted to link it to what i was saying at the start about local government because yeah. if we mentioned health and social care very briefly and obviously health and social care of during covid has really come to the fore and so it i think it's in in my view there needs to be you know we're waiting for the green paper major national change in terms of health and social care i think that's that's not an outlying view but i think at, at government and in local government people talk openly about health and social care integration um and and there's you know and i know there's been for a long time but there's there's always rumors about nhs takeover of social adult social care or even social care so um but something is gonna it appears something is gonna change there will be a green paper white paper etc and but if if there's a radical change in adult social care linking it to nhs services in whatever way that happens nationally driven and locally delivered what does that mean for children's services with all of the change in local government and so and i I know you and i have talked about this lots and lots of times so my view is we really need to think about how we organize children's services in the future and going back to those gap issues it's it's not just about social work and children's social care it's very much about education it's very much about how children with disability are, and it's about um support for 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 all families but particularly vulnerable families so health visitors school nurses and i think integrating children's services there's an easier logic to why that should be done than with adult health and social care and i'm not saying that that shouldn't be integrated but i think in children's services, it makes it just as much, if not more sense. And and therefore you really need to think about how you organize children's services. So as as you know, uh, you know, you've worked with lots of models in lots of different authorities. And I think it's a, I think it's a shame that that different models are only really looked at in authorities that get in inadequate Ofsted judgment and it kind of gets forced on them whereas I think we should all be thinking about different models not outside you know I'm, I'm not not outside a local government I'm talking personally because I believe in local government local accountability for children's services is is for me fundamentally philosophically important you know but the, the basic reason for integration is around better outcomes for children particularly vulnerable children so how how far do you think you got towards that utopian concept of a really integrated children's services in in cornwall in the reforms that you did i think we set up the the platform well what was what was really interesting is and and i think you you were part of some of these when we were doing the the big meetings with health ministers to talk to them about the model is how responsive they were to that and um and the health visitors were in an NHS. They were in an NHS at this time, yeah. And 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 then they, public health, as you know, who are now commission, and so public health awarded the contract to the council. And and I'm not saying that that was a a smooth, you know, it was a it was a turbulent process in in many ways. But it but because it was that it was grounded in a integration philosophy it wasn't about saving money it's it wasn't about ideology in a sense it was about we need children's services in one place under a a single management process um, with that accountability and then we can much better deliver integrated services around what health visitors do what school nurses do what social workers do what educational psychologists do you know i i would probably be even more radical and had this model to an extent in northumberland um or 12 years ago where we had community pediatricians as part of it as well basically everything but cams which is you know is not commissioned by local so i think we we'd started on the journey jack drove this just as much if not more than i did but 
you know, we'd reached a stage in our career where we thought we've created the um, the ground conditions. We, we've got that integrated model. We've got it under one system. Um, we now hand over to the next generation, so to speak, to to deliver that. And you know, I obviously none of us foresaw COVID. So what what has what's happened since in court will be very different to that that I envisaged, and quite understandably so because the circumstances have been have been very different. Um, the world has changed quite radically in a way that we didn't ne- well we didn't foresee. So. Um, yeah. So, tr- Trevor, I want to ask a couple of specific questions about the reform. So, I mean, public service leaders talk a lot about integration, but for for a service user, how does how does this new integrated service how, how does it look and feel different to what had gone before? It's it's if you look at the um, the stuff that Louise Casey led a, a few years, you know, on troubled families, it, yes. as it was called, which was you know, the families have have a number of problems, and and the original thing, oh, they just need one person going in rather than twenty four people. Well, they, they don't necessarily need one person going in, but you know, it's it's the team around the child issue, yeah. the whole family. So, and and I think I think that the family safeguarding model in Hertfordshire, which is which they went down a slightly different, but I think the way they they um, describe it and the way that's articulated. Is, is a good way of putting it. So they they take the you know the the so-called toxic trio of mental health problems, uh, drug and uh, substance misuse problems, and, and domestic abuse. If that's present, then you need people with expertise in working in that in a team, working with the family, but with the belief that the family can change, with the belief you can work with their strengths. So it has to be fundamentally multi-agency. Yeah. So it's 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 broadly the same philosophy and the same approach. So if you're a parent that's struggling, you know, you're you're, you're, you're there's, there may be domestic abuse, mental health problems, drug and alcohol problems. It's it's really difficult for public sector organisations to join themselves up and work collectively. And that's what integration is about. And we, we all experience that on a on on a on a day to day basis, you know, and um if if you ring if you ring the GP and you need an you know it never pub, the public sector never really feels as joined up as you want it to be even a, it never and and it's trying to and the people that need that the most are the most vulnerable if the, if their child's going to a special school how and they're not you know it's I know it's a cliche but it's true they don't have to tell their story ten times to ten different people and get ten different responses yeah so how much did this reform play in getting the outstanding Ofsted result? I think it played, it played, I don't want to over, over egg it, um, because I think what got us, what got us the outstanding Ofsted result was the, the practice on the ground. I think that would have happened anyway, but I think, I think the Ofsted in, inspectors were impressed that there was a link through from the vision, the leadership, I don't like the term, but the golden thread down to the practice, and it was yeah. on a multi eight, and and they saw that in terms of how we helped families. So yeah. it was it was apparent to them. There's a couple of things that I want to come back to because uh, I, I want to ask you. Just we never in the story of Cornwall, we ne- never actually acknowledged the the getting of outstanding. So I need to ask you about that. So Trevor, the the result of the work that you and Jack and others had done in Cornwall resulted in an outstanding Ofsted inspection. Um, I think the the inspection move was in October, and you found out just before Christmas in twenty. Well, we found out we found out the end of the inspection informally, but we had a few. Oh, okay. We were yeah. told it was subject to moderation and <laughs> don't don't take well, it for we'll, we'll we'll So we had an anxious too. couple of weeks. Well, we we know the the perils of moderation with the the recent exam results. Another hour we could situation. So just tell us about that that time. I mean, did that feel like a real? I mean, it must have felt like a real achievement. But I mean, what you know? Tell me what it felt like. Well, when we you come back to luck. So we got our good in two thousand and sixteen, and you know, I I remember. You know, we were we were so delighted to get to good, but we still had. So we we got 
three we got an overall good but we got three goods and um uh, requires improvement for help and protection i genuinely didn't think that we get we get the um the ILAC as it's you know the Ofsted ILAC before I before I went and um Jack and I always squabbled over who was going to predict it right etc and he would say he mainly get it he, he always got <laughs> it right I might disagree on some of that detail but anyway um so uh I, I remember because I'd agreed to do a um um a peer review for the for the LGA for the local government association I think it was up in the northwest and I was um so it was the Monday morning and I was going to be away for a week and then the call came from my PA um to say uh an Ofsted HMI wanted to speak to me and you know it's what DCSs refer to as the call so um I got the call so I, I was on the A30 and I had to just turn around turn and come back and, and profusely apologize to the LGA because I was the lead peer reviewer and I pulled out on the Monday of the inspection and um, I must ch name check Linda Clegg who's the uh, the children's improvement advisor for the Northwest who stepped in at a moment's notice but anyway so um yeah, so we we had so we we went into our uh, you know that was a week's notice before the inspectors were on site, and anyone who's gone through an Ofsted inspection will know that uh, it's eighteen hours a day from then on in until the, the final day of the inspection. Uh, and when you when you um, if you look at you know Cornwall's journey, you know adequate two thousand and thirteen, good two thousand and sixteen outstanding 2019 it looks as though it's a lovely smooth upward graph but it wasn't like that at all and you know inspections you always have your dark night of the soul so um <laughs> i remember i remember going through the 2016 inspection you know jack and i exchanging texts at three o'clock in the morning that this one's gone you know it's uh because because we'd, we'd had a couple of cases come up and uh and and again in the 2009 we had it we had our our bad days during the during the inspection you know one of the one of the issues is is your game management <laughs> you know it's it, uh, and with apologies using a football analogy but you know it's it's not just your coaching and 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 putting your team together it's your game management as well and obviously you want to you want to give the best possible ins uh, impression to Ofsted inspectors but they're no fools so you can't you can't um delude them in any way but you you have to you have to show how you respond you have to demonstrate to them how you respond on the bad day in the inspection and you will get a bad day in the inspection any DCS will say the same you know on the final morning of the inspection the 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 lead HMI and the um and the moderator sorry, it, it, HMI stands for sorry the Her Majesty's Inspector it's the lead oh, officer sorry, inspector yeah. they call you in and you can remember the walk down the corridor you know with your stomach <laughs> churning and um and obviously I was delighted to be told that we got outstanding my head was so churned up that I went back to tell the team and I was trying to explain it to them where we were in each category and what it was overall and I just didn't ask. So they were all saying, well, what's that mean that, you know, and so, yeah. but the, the other, everybody was so knackered. Yeah. Having coped with the good and bad throughout the inspection that the kind of, you know, when we went out for a drink, it was almost flat, the atmosphere, because yeah. whereas in, it had been euphoric when we got the good in 2016, but people That's had put so much into it. And really they, you know, but, and DCSs often say, oh, well, Ofsted doesn't matter. It's, it's the work that matters. And of course, that's true. But you do want the, you know, the badge takes you a long way. Yeah, I mean, the, the badge gives you license to be more radical, I guess, to be more. Well, it, it's an interesting question, this actually, because you mentioned this earlier, but coming coming back to the idea of, um, I think you said that often some of the more radical reform happens in councils that are inadequate because they need to change and they're made, that, you know, being being frank they're made to change as well they're made to change yeah um so it, it particularly with something like children's social care i can imagine that elected members for instance and uh you know chief executives of councils are saying well if something is good or excellent let's not 
rattle that cage. I've got other problems to deal with. But actually, it's those councils that are good or outstanding that can really push push things forward. So how, how do you get councils, the, the council leadership on board to, to keep re- reforming when perhaps in their minds you, you arrived? Well, if, if, I'm, if I'm really frank about that, I'm not sure. Because as you know, that's something I wasn't able to do in Cornwall. You know, and I, 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 last thing I do is criticise elected members in Cornwall who I have great respect for. Um, we would have liked, I would have liked to have, have moved to a, uh, a council-owned company in Cornwall, but I wasn't able to persuade the, the members enough that, that that was necessary. And to be fair to the members, they would say, now, well, we got outstanding anyway. And so um, I would still like to have done that, but I do accept that there's perfectly valid arguments the other way the other way as well and, so, and so just to be to, to be clear with people the idea of a council and company what you were exploring there was moving children's services to a council owned so still within the public ser- sector family but a social enterprise that would sit independently and would be able to to deliver those services on on behalf yeah. of the council some of, some of the big wins were around the possible flexibilities and it wasn't yeah. about it wasn't about making money, although it might have say it wouldn't have it wouldn't have saved money, but it might have um, controlled costs in the future. But one of the one of the big wins, and and you know, I mentioned Jane Black, who who I worked with my education colleague, and it was a really huge thing for her about it. And and this this radical way forward, education colleagues were just as committed to it as social care colleagues. So it wasn't you know just a children's social care thing. But we were thinking if we could run our own multi-academy trust for the most vulnerable children, for example, and, and you know, I don't know the latest numbers, but at the time there were 1,400 children in elective home education in Cornwall. And only about a third of those would have been the traditional electively home educated in terms of parents who philosophically want to, want to teach their children at home, which is fine and, and their choice. But two thirds of those would have either been children with with send issues where they didn't have a place or children who who were you know either had been or in danger of being off rolled to uh, to put it to put it blunt and we thought there was all kinds of things that we could do still being part of the local authority but working with the most vulnerable children you know and around those those gap issues and and leveling up so um uh, uh, also across with across with health colleagues and really and maintain that um, distinction of children's services and we, we talked earlier about the turbulence that's going to be in the rest of local government that you secure children's services in a council-owned organization but in a way that maximizes the flexibility but also um, makes children's services distinct you know and, and uh, there's achieving for children is probably the um, the best example nationally of where that was done, where it didn't come out of adversity, but came out of something they wanted to do positively. So uh, achieving for children. I'm surprised there haven't been more examples. Let's let's put it that. And I think the reason is behind your question. The reason is that if you're a good or outstanding council, then why put a lot of effort into that when, you know, the council has lots of lots of other priorities. And and I think there's a nervousness amongst members, which is understandable, that it's seen as some kind of um, privatisation or, or mm. spin-off. When, when for me, it's not. It's still fundamentally part of the council, but it's just a different way of organising. Organizing, and I think there's all sorts of potential in it, but it's not really been demonstrated yet but we're going to have to think about how children's services are all because these are going to be tough years for local government in the next few years we all we all know that yeah uh, yeah it just for the listeners achieving for children is is the council owned social enterprise delivering children's services on behalf of richmond kingston and windsor and Maidenhead. yeah so on that theme of different models for children's services. You're also working as a commissioner on behalf of the Department uh, for Education. Um, can you just explain what, what that role what that role is essentially? If an authority is inadequate and there are and, and the DFE consider they are the problems are both historic and 
systemic or sustained and, and systemic, then they will consider a, a commissioner to um, work with that council and produce a report for the Secretary of State. So I've, I've done, well, I've, I've been a, a commissioner in um, three authorities. So I'm, I'm, I can name the authorities because it's a matter of public record. So for Worcestershire, for Surrey and for Slough. Yeah, so I don't, I, I don't want to get into the details of those in individually because I, I, I don't think it's, it's appropriate for this. But I do want to ask you about what it must be like, because it must be difficult to go into a council as effectively an outsider. And, you know, these are organisations that you know well and you understand the struggles, but you're going in there and, and in effect making decisions on what they should do. And that can't be easy. Yeah, I've had three, as I say, three roles and they've been distinct because the first two, I was still DCS in Cornwall. So I was doing it DCS in Cornwall and I was I was using my um, my team to work with me in Cornwall. And it was, you know, I'm grateful to Cornwall Council for releasing the time. But I think that the benefit for Cornwall Council is that both me and, and the staff in Cornwall learnt a lot you know, because when you're going to work with another authority, you know, if one authority's badge good or outstanding and, and the authority you're working with is badged inadequate, that doesn't mean it's all a one way process. Doesn't mean that there's not things that they do better than you do that you can learn from them. You know, it's 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 more complicated than that. So it is it is difficult and it is challenging um, and it's very difficult for an authority to, um, you know, no one wants an inadequate judgment. No one wants a commissioner. Yeah. And this this it comes back to an overall management issue for me. And I've had several big challenging issues in my career, um, some of which have got reasonable amounts of publicity where you've had to make a call. So I can I can think of an, uh, uh, an issue where um, there were um, allegations against elected members, for example, um, and uh, and, and obviously there's issues with families and where whatever you do you know there's there, there can be co bad consequences you know for for you personally and and you just think the only way forward is to just do what you think is right and I, I, I know that sounds like an obvious thing and it it may turn out that you've made the wrong decision you've made the wrong recommendation but that's what you do as a commissioner I think is you make a recommendation that you think is right. The authority might disagree with you, given individuals might disagree with you, but you take all of the evidence, you consider it, you reflect on it, and you make a recommendation. You don't make a recommendation based on, I don't believe an authority should lose its services, or I believe an so, authority should So it should shouldn't, it's not... It's ideological. not ideological. Yeah, it's not it's, ideological. It's in the interests of children and young people in that area, it's following the policy and it's doing what you think is is right based on your experience, your reading, your knowledge, your discussions with other people, and um, and that's and then you write your report and you and you make your recommend. But it's a very powerful position. There's no getting away from it. Yeah. Because okay. I think I think pretty well exclusively ministers respect. You know, DfE don't don't appoint commissioners lightly, and ministers and senior civil servants respect the recommendations you make and i think um ministers generally accept accept commissioners recommendations yeah okay uh one just area i want to explore a bit more with you i know that you've talked a bit about the future of public services and reform but is there anything else that you want to say on public service reform more generally um, just in how things work. You, you've talked a lot about children's services. I mean, if you want to dig more into that, that's fine. But I just want to give you the opportunity to to share any other wider thoughts you might have. Yeah, um, there's some huge political decisions. Is is how much debt is going to be tolerated, and if that debt needs to be, uh, if the deficit needs to be lessened in any way, then that's got to be done, presumably either by tax increases or by less public spending um, or, or a combination of both. My concern would be that, um, as I said earlier, I, th I think there would be a broad consensus 
that in the previous deficit reduction and the up period of austerity, that was not a great period for children in poor families. And so I think we need to we need to think really carefully about the leveling up issue, which which I think we ought to take at face value from the government. But if the what's at the core of leveling up issue will be um, going back to what I said at the start of our discussion, opportunities for children and young people and overcoming the effects of deprivation and poverty. And that for me, that needs to be at the at the central policy and thinking as we go forward. You know, there's going to be a, a, a care review on um, self-evidently will be on the most vulnerable children, children in care. But I, I, I do think it's 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 probably the right time to reflect on on the deal we give children in in society now. All of the exams issue, you know, it's thrown up so many issues with COVID. I think um, I've been really worried about vulnerable families and how isolated they've been during COVID. I know the government's very keen. I think quite rightly that. Um, that vulnerable children are back in school, but you know there's there's the there's those in the preschool children as well who um, I think the level of support and I think authorities have done a tremendous job trying to maintain services, but even so, there has been more isolation during during COVID. So I do think that that it's 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 almost as though at, at times. If, if, if you think historically, you know, at times of great challenge, you know, we had Beveridge, um, the National Health Service, there was in, in the 90s, the Community Care Act, you know, the 89 Children Act, major piece of legislation that's still relevant to our day-to-day -day work today. For me, it feels like the right time for another major rethink about public services, particularly particularly children's service, I think goes into public services more more broadly. And it's been, you know, really something that we've all observed that a crisis of the magnitude we've had in the last few months, yeah. it needs a lot more government and a lot more government intervention. And, and, and that's far from a party political point. That's just that's, that's well, I, just I don't think it is a party political point right now. It might be it might be a political point, but I don't think it's a party political point yeah. right now, given where both the parties are. Um, Trevor, as a final question, what what bit of advice would you give to somebody working in the public sector or in a charity or social enterprise who's trying to make their way? You know, what what advice would you give them in terms of making the sort of impact you you, you have in in your career? I think um, have your values to to fall back on on the really difficult days when you're faced with a really tough decision, I think you really can narrow it to what is the right thing to do here? And if you start thinking, how will that affect the politics? How will that affect the reaction to me? Then it gets difficult. And then with a bit of luck, things will work out. And by all means, be ambitious. But when you do job X or job Y, do it with that full commitment values based because you're doing the right and and you know why you're doing it because if you don't know why you're doing it i was gonna say there's lots of other things you can do i know that's not necessarily the case at the moment but you've got to be doing it for the right reason yeah i think that's a really solid piece of advice trevor and a really good place for us to end and I just want to thank you for being one of my first interviewees on the Radical Reformers podcast. So thank you very much. Thank you. Pleasure. I really enjoyed that discussion with Trevor and I wanted to share some of my own reflections. I think Trevor's point about having really strong values and always coming back to trying to do the right thing when faced with a really tough decision is incredibly important. As public service leaders make their way up organisations, small p and big p politics come into play and there is so much noise you can very easily get distracted when trying to make a big decision by all of that noise and actually, as Trevor says, the way through that is to go back to your values and go back to making sure that what you're doing feels instinctively and in your gut like the right thing. Trevor's points about every career having ups and downs 
are worth paying attention to. If you're trying to do anything worthwhile, you will have setbacks, you will make mistakes, you will have to recover from those mistakes, and the secret is in how you rebound and how you develop resilience. And as a number of my interviewees have talked about having a strong team around you, I thought the example of the Tony Blair approach versus the Gordon Brown approach was really important. And how uh, if you're going to be a leader of a complex organization, you need to be able to trust those who you're working with. So that's all from me. And please do subscribe on the Radical Reformers website so you never miss a future episode.